It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to Talk the Plank of Pittsburgh Pirates podcast here on the Fans First Sports Network and BoxDugout.com. I'm Jake Slobodnik and joining me once again on the show, Connor Williams. Connor, how's things been for you? Been going good. Uh, weirdly, a lot to talk about today. Yeah, uh, last week when we recorded our podcast, I think it was Sunday when we recorded, um, the one thing we mentioned toward the end of it was, gosh, I hope the Pirates give us some news to talk about. That way we're not just... I guess, floating ideas for 20 or 40 minutes. Well, uh, be careful what you wish for, because we got a lot of news and um, some good, some bad, some a little questionable and some uh, rumors that we're hearing. But uh, we'll tackle that all. Uh, But I think the biggest thing that we need to start off with is uh, we're going to start with bad news first. We have two bad news stories and the rest is pretty good. And then uh, we might have some questionable stuff toward the end. But uh, let's start with the bad news. The worst of it all, in my opinion. The Pirates will be without catcher Andy Rodriguez for the entirety of the 2024 season. For those who think that uh, Tommy John surgery only affects pitchers, well, think again. Uh, it affected the Pirates' top-rated catcher, and uh, that's going to be a tough blow for him this year. Uh, when underwent UCL surgery, um, I think on December, it was earlier this month. It was Tuesday. Um, Tuesday. So he'll be out for the entire season, which is a very tough blow. And that sort of throws a wrench into the catching mix for the Pirates. It's now going to put more weight on Henry Davis, Jason DeLay, probably Ali Sanchez as well, barring any future deals. So, Connor, first thing I got to ask you, what's your reaction to this whole news? Because it seemed like it just came out of nowhere. Um, It sucks, man. Because um, I, I did see that he um, 
that his team sent him back. Um, that his um his lead on team, uh, Dominican Winter League team sent him back to the Pirates. Um, at the request of the Pirates. Um, about three weeks ago or so, I didn't think much of it then. I actually kind of forgot about it. Um, but it, it turns out that he did hurt himself there. Um, and he hurt it on a swing, not a throw, which was weird. He did have um the forearm injury earlier this year. Um, and he had to be shut down for about two weeks, and then he he couldn't throw or I I, I don't know. I just I don't. My first reaction is why why the heck was he in winter ball? Right? Because I don't know why with the forearm injury this year, why you would risk that. I I know that um look, I, I know that that kind of thing for position players isn't as nearly as scary as it is for pitchers, but just with any kind of injury, I just I don't know why they would let him do it. I, I don't know why they would let him do it. Cause I don't think he was really that desperate for reps. Um, I, I just, I don't know. And yeah, the, the I, worst, the worst part about it is I think it probably rules out Cruz going to the winter league because they don't want another PR. Cause if Cruz got hurt in the winter leagues, that would be a PR disaster. Right. Um, and the worst, and the part about that that kind of sucks is that I think Cruz really needs those reps. And it's been weird that he hasn't played in Winter League at all. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, and well, let me start with Andy. My, my initial gut reaction, similar to a lot of fans. Why was he playing there? Why was he doing this? You want to throw out a lot of whys, but, you know, then I got to thinking if he wasn't playing and say he came to spring training just with the offseason workouts and he got hurt in his first spring training game. You know what? The first thing Pirates fans would say, myself included, you know, this wouldn't have happened if he played winter ball because he would have additional reps. These this is one of those. Uh, well, things. I'm not I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't either, but that's always considering. And, you know, I mean, just I feel like that's the overall reaction is. You know, you're either going to react one way, but if the opposite were to happen, you'd react the same. You'd react the same way. But that's beside the point. My thing is, is this just kind of proves that injuries happen at any time, and it sucks to see. It sucks to see on a player such as Andy Rodriguez. It sucks to see on any player, but one is highly touted as Andy Rodriguez. You hate to see it, especially whenever it's going to take away. Um, it's going to take away a major bat for the Pirates. It's going to take a nice, youthful rejuve- rejuvenation for the Pirates lineup and defense, really, whenever catching has been. And I think it was Jake Krause who wrote this. He said, you know, the Pirates catching platoon has been it's been shaky ever since Stallings left. Um, but even then, before that, it was still kind of shaky. And Andy was kind of that that piece that was going to maybe balance it out. But now it's back to Henry, Henry Davis, who has questions defense with his defense, Jason delay, who is a decent cat, a decent backup. He's not 
a star by any means, will never be a star. Um, and then you have Ali Sanchez, who's not proven anything in the major leagues. It sucks. And I know the immediate reaction is to blame winter ball, to blame all this. And I even saw some people, I'm not going to mention names, but I did see some people on X start saying, you know, ban winter ball. It's like, well, not really because well, they're in a weird spot with that because Andy obviously wanted to play, you know, young players care about that. They want to earn some extra cash. They want to get some extra reps. They don't want to stop playing at the end of the year because they, they, you know, maybe they feel like there's still some progress to be made or or they just want to keep playing. And you have to balance, you know, your relationship with that player and, you know, whether or not is this really a good idea. So I, I can't, I can't even really blame the pirates fully for, for allowing him to do this. Um, it, it just, I, I feel like somebody should have put their foot down and gone, you know what, this is maybe this isn't the smartest thing to do at, at this point for this player. Or hear me out. Maybe if he were to go to winter ball, there may be some coordination between his team and the pirates. Well, there already is, but I mean, what I'm saying is like, reduce reps maybe don't overwork him too much or you know let's stick to the plan and i mean even either way the point stands whether it was there there always is that sort of thing there are always stipulations that the teams make to the lead on teams it's not like they just they send them off and lead on does whatever they want with them um lead on has to play nice with mlb otherwise the flow of talent stops um right the only thing the lead on teams care about is, is winning they're they're for profit teams like any other um, and so in order to keep this flow of talent coming from MLB, they have to play nice. Right. But at the same time, I think that just proves the point that injuries can happen at any time. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people need to realize that it is, you know, whether you get fewer reps, more reps, what happened, what have you, injuries can happen at any point. It's devastating to see, but that's just one of the results of the game. It's unfortunate, but, you know, it, it's even more unfortunate when it happens with a highly talented player like Andy Rodriguez Sucks to see, but I think this is a good time for Henry Davis to start maybe bolstering himself up because a lot of people have been questioning his defense. You know, I mean, his his bat, I think, could is is there. He just needs to get a little bit more under his under his belt, if you will, in the major leagues, and he'll be better off. Um, I mean, he was mashing AAA, mashing the minors. So give him some time to adjust to the major league pitching, and I think his bat's right there. It's just his defense has been shaky. I can tell you last year when I was at the Altoona Curve multiple times watching him play, there were easy balls that got by him, and he almost cost him a couple of games. One I was at. Um, it was top of the ninth. Tyler Samanega was coming on, and a couple easy pitches got by Henry. And if it wasn't for a fortunate flip uh, to Samanega, who was covering home plate, it was right on the money. If it wasn't for that, they probably would have lost. So while it sucks to see what Endy is going through, and it sucks he's going to you know miss the season, this is a really good time for Henry Davis to prove his worth. And I think he's now gotten the trust for the Pirates to go behind the dish a little bit more based on another move that was recently made. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, Connor, your thoughts on, you know, the opportunity that awaits Henry Davis now? I, I think it should have come last year. I don't understand why it didn't come last year. Um, obviously, the hand injury at the end, um, they say stopped um some more catching duties from happening um he only caught the two innings i think but i think it's just like you said um 
it's just his defense is really questionable. I feel he struggles with a lot of things that I don't think I've really ever seen a catcher struggle with. Um, and the comparisons I've gotten from people include Ryan Domit, who is one of the worst catchers defensively um, ever, really. <laughs> he Ryan Domit hit 300 slash 300, 400, 500, and his defense was so bad that it canceled out all of his war. So um, I don't know. I've seen him just straight up drop pitches. Um, he has issues with blocking. Obviously, the arm is really strong. Um, and I don't think he has a bad mindset by any means. I think he does handle pitchers decently well. It's just, I, I don't know about the hands. I don't know about the receiving ability. It's pretty bad, honestly. But um, as far as the opportunity goes, I think he should have gotten it last year. And I think he's going to get it now. And I think that can only be good for him because he can definitively prove one way or the other, you know, whether or not he can catch at this level. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, you give him the time to adjust. And I I mean, we all know Ben Charrington could be lying through his teeth. But one thing he did promise is that Henry Davis was going to work on his catching over the offseason. So maybe he'll come back next year, look a little bit better. I'm not saying he's going to, you know, flip the entire look of his defensive game, but he could look slightly better, and I think that's all it really needs. You know, as long as he's playing somewhat better, and as you said, easy pitches that he was dropping. If he can at least step that up, he'll look like a much more formed uh, backstop. But we'll we'll see again. Well, and, long... and maybe ABS comes along in a few years and kind of mitigates some of this. Um, I, I this is speculation about his future at the position. Um, but right now, it's just it's hard to see him grading out even averagely as a framer. Agreed. But uh, like I said, you know, we got some time. We'll see how he how he's worked in the offseason. And I'm sure I'm sure when spring training hits, we're going to get the full kit and caboodle from Sportsnet Pittsburgh um, about Henry Davis's offseason training. Speaking of how about Sportsnet Pittsburgh picking up the Pirates now, it'll be the home of the Penguins and the Pirates. Um, it's it was announced earlier this week, but then a damning piece came out about Sportsnet Pittsburgh. Originally, they weren't making any changes to the on-air staff, but now Robbie Insmikowski is no longer a part of the broadcast team, and there's there is honestly a lot of mixed emotion on social media about this. I, I wouldn't I mean, call it damning. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not making light of anybody losing their jobs here, um, because that extends kind of beyond the on-air personalities, um, but it's. Obviously, the Pirates are going to own part of Sportsnet along with the Penguins, um, who are, of course, owned by Fenway Sports Group, who own, I think, Liverpool. Um, they also own the Red Sox, obviously, Fen hence Fenway Sports Group. Um, but I, I just, it's really unfortunate that everybody loses their jobs. I I obviously want everybody to, that can to be brought back. It's just, it's it's a little unfortunate that that Robbie gets caught up here because by all accounts, he's a really good guy. 
He is, and I always love watching. I always love seeing the photo of him with former Talk the Plank host Nathan Hirsch, uh, and all those guys at the bar. I just I love that so much. Oh, that's Nathan Hirsch is in that image. Yeah, you never noticed. I didn't know, that? No, I, I I didn't know that. Yeah, that was him. I, I I remember when he initially shared it. I about I about pissed myself in laughter, but um, laughter in a good way. But yeah, I mean. Robbie and Smikowski, for what it's worth, and I said this on Bucks Dugout's account because, you know, when we first, when the, when the first story came out, I saw a lot of negativity. A lot of people didn't really like the fact about how Robbie conducted himself in the broadcast. But I'll say this I have watched a lot of TV and a lot of sports broadcasts, and sideline reporters, they are very cookie cutter. Give you facts back to the booth. Robbie tries to add a little bit of personal touch to it. And I'll even cite the tweet that I made. He can make a 12-1 blowout loss somewhat entertaining just by some by maybe a nugget of information, an interview. Um, I wasn't always crazy about him interviewing, say, a debuting player's parents while they're up to bat for the first time in the world. Um, but you're not gonna, you know, no nobody's perfect when it comes to the broadcasting realm. But I give and, Robbie and a lot of that credit. isn't like that a lot of that isn't Robbie. You know what I mean? A lot of that is by design, you know, the, you know, Robbie not asking a lot of analytical questions. That's, that's probably intentional production design. So. Yeah. So I I think any complaints about him are, are pretty overblown. I think he's, I think he's really good personally. Yeah. I think a lot of the negativity just comes from passive watching where people always want maybe like the, like a lot of flair behind their things. But if you really know media production, you know that Robbie is doing what he's supposed to, as you said, it comes from a producer, the producer and director tell him what the angle is and Robbie goes and gets it. So he's not a bad guy. He's not a bad on-air personality and good. You know, what's good for him. You know, he didn't go to the media and start bashing things. He released a statement. And from what I've seen around reports, he's going to go back into like the news and, feature stories type of things. And I think this experience that he had over the past 11 years, with the pirates, I think that that's going to help him out more ways than one. So, I mean, just good luck to him. It sucks to see him go. I'm interested to see who they bring in. If they decide to go with an on-field reporter again, which I'm sure they will, but you know, I, I mean, Robbie is a good guy and I, he's going to succeed. So um, like you said, you never want to root for somebody to lose their job. You never, you're never happy to read something like that. But uh, I commend Robbie for the way he took it in stride and, you know, acting very professional about it. He's going to go big places. And and more just talking about the TV deal for a moment. Um, Obviously, it's it's probably less than what they were getting. Um, But there is a priority to make a Tim, uh, not Tim Williams, uh, Travis Williams, excuse me, talked about. how getting a streaming app for direct consumer stuff is a priority for them. Um, and what the pricing would look like on that. I have absolutely no idea. I, I think Nesson has one Nesson, obviously also owned by Fenway sports group. Um, it, it's just, I don't know. I, I think this was the right choice um, because there's, there's going to be, it sounds like there's going to be a priority for a direct-to-consumer streaming option um, sometime in the near future, and it keeps them on cable TV, which, while yes, it is kind of on the way out the door, it is convenient for 
it, it's more convenient for all fans just that they are in the same place that they are going to be that they were i should say right and i i mean i think it's going to be a good thing you know it it could have been a lot worse this tv deal so we'll see how it pans out especially because with, with mlb there wouldn't there isn't nearly as much flexibility and room for pre and post game stuff or any kind of you know magazine style programming like inside pirates baseball none of that would be possible with mlb with mlb Right. They're more and, focused about overcharging for in-game action. And there's. <laughs> and I mean, the yeah, thing is, is like if MLB were to take it over, who's to say that these pirate games wouldn't get blacked out? Because that's what MLB.tv is doing right now. And they'd probably release a cookie cutter statement saying, oh, we won't do that. But again, there's probably going to be some little twinge. Well, if, if MLB took over, it, it wouldn't just be MLB TV. It would be there would be a, a prop up channel that would that would happen. Um, and they would probably have some sort of um individual team plan, um for MLB TV or or something like that. Um, I don't pretend to understand um any of the business machinations of that. Um, but I I just I feel like they made the right move here. Um, and, and that's the other thing here because there there are stories the team wants to get out there, right? And that that's what inside. Inside Pirates Baseball kind of helped them do that. Like there were some off the field things like with a certain player doing charity work or, or whatever um, that really outside media wouldn't be interested in or either that they wanted to do themselves. And I think that this was kind of the only path that let them continue to do that sort of thing. Right. And I'm sure they're going to continue to do this sort of thing. Because I'm sure, like you said, that would have been in the deal itself. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be nice. And I mean, we have Penguins hockey right now to sort of base what uh, what the Pirates are going to be. Might be a little bit more in, more uh, creativity there. But the way they handle the Pens broadcast right now, and I know it's still in its infant stages, but I, I mean, it's pretty clean. So I have high hopes for this. Um, so uh, we'll see how that happens. But uh, let's get into some of the good news now. Uh, the Pirates, they made some personnel moves. And uh, I guess we found our first baseman slash, I guess, DH1 of the season. And uh, this one got a lot of mixed emotions, mainly mainly negative. And, hey, they released the, the hype video the today. We we were all wondering who was going to get the dreaded hype video this year. And it was Rowdy Telez. Congratulations. Here's the beef. He signed one-year, $3.2 million deal. It can be $4 million. I thought you were going to talk about his weight after you said, here's the beef. <laughs> Well, that's kind of what I was getting at. BMI just means oh, I had it earlier. It was like bucks. It was something. It was something stupid with BMI. But um, $3.2 million deal for a one-year deal for Rowdy Teles, $4 million with incentives. And as a corresponding move, they DFA'd Rodery Munoz, who they got, let me check my watch here, about 14 days ago from the Washington Nationals. He is now the Luan Diaz Award winner. Congratulations, Rodery. Congratulations, Rowdy. For making the pirates. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. I don't know. All my words are mixing together. It's Friday, man. I've had a long week. Yeah. We're same. just rolling with it. Um, but let me let me just say this. Ben Charrington loves thick boys over at first base. That that's my takeaway, because Rowdy's not great. He would beat Daniel Vogelbach in a race, but he's not that great. I mean, he, he he's got power, but that's about it. And he's got weight. I don't know. What do you think? Um 
listen, I I really don't like this move, but I understand it. Right. Where there's probably a set budget for this offseason, whether it's 85 or, or 90 or $80 million opening day payroll, whatever it's set at. Um, and Carlos Santana, I thought, you know, whether... Listen, they could have gotten a better option here and still gotten all the pitching they wanted to. And we'll we'll get to that later. But they they the payroll is so low right now that they could have done that comfortably. But I understand this move. Um there's some peripherals here that really aren't bad. They're actually quite good. Um he's coming off an injury filled year. Um and in twenty twenty two he was very good. He hit 35 homers. I really don't know what else to say. Um, he kind of fits that Daniel Vogelbach mold, really. I, I just, I kind of don't love it. I really don't. He's a beefy boy, and that's all he's going to be known for. He's not good by any stretch of the term. Here's my take. What the hell happened to a Carlos Santana reunion? And I know... Before you answer, let me just say this. I know it was probably unlikely, but the fact that Santana publicly said that he loves playing in Pittsburgh, he's affordable, he's still somewhat decent, especially on defense when he was a gold glove finalist. I just, I don't understand why we couldn't bring him back. Maybe a pay increase, but it still would be much more affordable and you'd probably get the same results and more results from Rowdy Tellez. I just... I don't understand why we're so afraid to have a reunion with a player who produces and is not named Andrew McCutcheon, which again, we'll get to later in the show. I just, I w- I, I really wish we had Carlos Santana back and that's nothing on Rowdy Telez. I mean, he even said, and it could have been a PR thing that he wanted to play in Pittsburgh. He was hoping the pirates would reach out, but I, I don't know. Now here's another thing. And I'm going to look at this from a slightly optimistic look. If this is just one of many incoming moves and we're going to get a better first baseman and Rowdy is just like a platoon slash DH fill-in, I'll feel well, I much I assume he's platooning with Joe. See, but that, again, this is a year where we're supposed to be competitive. We're being the Pirates. This is supposed to be their year where they take a step forward. Now, I know Andy's injury, Oviedo's injury, those have sort of maybe hindered the ideology here. But at the same time, why are we platooning Connor Joe at first base? He's not good, but he's not bad either. Like, he's mid. And we can't keep piling together mid-players if we want to be competitive. Look at the Kansas City Royals, and I'm going to just... I'm going to prematurely bring in one of our subjects that we were going to talk about later. Look at the Kansas City Royals. 106 losses last year. And they go out, they bolster their rotation, they get some quality guys, and they're looking like they're going to be in a much better position than we are going into 2024. Like we could have easily gotten a better. They could have easily had the offense. had the off season that they had. Yeah, right. And we just chose not to do it. Instead, we bring in Rowdy Telez. Now I know it's still pretty early, and I and trust me, I've gotten my fair share of it's December, bro. Tweets. I don't care if it's December. You can bolster a team at any point. We. I mean, and if we're still considering bringing Carlos Santana back as as like a DH first baseman too, as he and Rowdy would switch off. Unlikely to happen, but I'm just thinking optimistically here. If we do that, I'd feel much better. But the like, 
I'm just, I'm confused. Like, what's the angle here? Are we just going to tank another year because we think that we're out of the game with these injuries? Um, what What's the MO? Rowdy Tellez is not going to win you a World Series. He might help you with some power. He might put one in the into the Allegheny here and there, but he's not a game changer by any means. I just, I'm like you, I'm confused. I don't know why this was it. I'm not a big fan of it at face value. I, I mean, if we look back on it after the offseason, after they made a couple more moves and more are on the way, I, I'm not going to, you know, I don't know the no insider information, but just with how things are are laid out right now, more moves are on the way. So if we can bring in a decent and more, I guess, a better first base option than Rowdy Telez, and he's just kind of like the two, I won't be too upset about that looking back on it. But at right now, I'm just, well, if he's. Well, if he's the um, the left-handed half of a platoon, he's going to be on the field most of the time, right? So I don't I don't see how he would be like a two in that scenario. I don't know. It's hard to see what the hell Ben Charrington is doing with this team. But well, then I also I I, I... okay I I just kind of said that I hate this move, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna defend it for a moment. If Rowdy Telez returns to his 2022 form. Where he hit 35 homers, slugged 461, uh, stole two bases, um, <laughs> uh, 306 on base, 461 slugging, 767 OPS. If he returns to that form in the strong half of a platoon and just mashes the crap out of righties and Joe mashes the crap out of lefties like he did last year, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You can get adequate production on a first base that way. I, I don't... The part that I hate is the principle of it. Right? Because you're spending... You're spending less than you did at the position than you did last year. Last year, they went and traded for G-Man Choi, um, who I think was being paid 3 or $4 million in arbitration. And then they signed Carlos Santana for $6.25 or $6.5 million. This year they go and sign Rowdy for three point two million with four million uh, with upwards of four million in incentives, and Connor Joe is earning about going to earn about two million dollars in arbitration. So they're spending six million altogether. Now, if you can get similar production out of first base than you did last year out of this combo, which I think is definitely possible, you're going to get it for a lower price. And I think they 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 see that as a win. I, the part that that really gets my blood boiling is that Rowdy Telez is coming off a really bad year. A really bad year. And he has, in six seasons, has a career war of zero. That's the totality of his work in MLB as a replacement-level player. I, why we have to keep going back to the island of broken and misfit toys to find adequate production, I just don't understand. Because if they spent another four million dollars here they could have i think at least um could have reunited with carlos santana which i think would have been the superior option that's 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 where i'm that's where i take issue with this and i'm not ruling out that rowdy telez puts up adequate production i'm not um i just kind of hate the move on principle especially because i know how important carlos was to that clubhouse last year some really important relationships were formed or, or strengthened. Um, he already knew O'Neill Cruz, and, and it's just impossible to communicate how respected 
Carlos is in a major league locker room. And I just, he's the guy you want around a young team. He really is. So I, right. I just thought a reunion would have made a lot of sense. I thought the production would have been adequate. The defense would have been better. Because that's the other thing about this. Um, we'll get to that with Oliveras, but I don't see how the moves that they've made on defense make them better defensively on paper. They're either the same or worse. For a team that was already pretty bad defensively. Right, and it just goes back to the fact, like, it's just puzzling to see what Charrington is doing this offseason. Like, you think there's a plan, but at the same time, it, it, it all really doesn't add up. I will say, I'm looking at Carlos Santana's stats between 2022 and 2023, and he was also coming off a of maybe not a horrid year in 2022, but he did take a step forward in 2023. Maybe that can happen with Rowdy Telez. I'm not saying it's going to, and I don't even believe for a second that it might, but that could be a possibility. Maybe that's what Charrington's thinking. But I want to go back to your clubhouse thing. I think that was the biggest thing with Carlos Santana. I think that's the reason why the Pirates, I would say, exceeded expectations, most people's expectations last year, was because the clubhouse energy was so high, and Carlos was a big factor about that. Rowdy, I mean, what are they going to say? Let's get Rowdy. I mean, come on. That joke's already tired, and he's only been on the team for about maybe four days. But I, I think Rowdy, I mean, he, Rowdy has a good reputation. I'm not saying that he, you know, he's like some kind of clubhouse cancer because he's very obviously not. People like him. Um, but it, it's just. It's not as it, it's not as strong as Carlos's connection. Right. Right. Especially with that relationship with O'Neill Cruz that I thought was pretty important to Cruz um, and pretty important to all the the Latin and especially the Dominican players. Right. And uh, I mean, there's still a possibility this could happen. It's very far fetched now that Telez is here, but it's not impossible. It's improbable, not impossible. I would love to see them bring him back. Well, if but... they do that, they would have to trade Joe, I feel like, because I don't see a place for for Connor Joe on this team at all. If they also sign Santana, because there's there's only 13 spots. You know, you can only roster 13 position players. Well, I, I guess. You can't only, you can obviously roster more, but you'd have to roster less pitchers and no team is doing that. So you have Reynolds, Sawinski, Oliveris, Hayes, Cruz, some, you know, either Piguero, two of Piguero, Triolo, and Gonzalez. So that's two right there. Telez and Joe, Kutch, because uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, Davis and a backup. That's 12. That's 12 spots. So if you add Santana, there's no way that you can keep Joe because that would be 13 and you only you're only carrying three outfielders or four if you're counting Kutch. Unless, and hear me out, because Joe's got that X factor where he can play first occasionally and say they're going up against a lefty pitcher, Santana wasn't terrible against lefty pitchers. He wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible and Joe you said was really good against lefty pitchers. You sit to Les that game you keep Joe there, maybe play him in well, right field, put Santana at first, or vice versa, or maybe Santana and DH, Joe at first. I don't see they... how they could get away with one guy capable of playing center field on the roster. I just I just don't. I really Who don't. Talking? Who are you referring to? Swinsky. Because if because I just named that's 12 spots right there. That's that's only three outfielders or four. 
four if you include Joe and Kutch, um, because Joe obviously can play corner outfield and Kutch maybe. So that's maybe five guys capable playing outfield, but really only three full-time outfielders. Well, we're also forgetting Jiwon Bay, and I know he's a forgetful guy, but he can also play center. Well, there's only so many spots. Right, and I think that's where the trade market comes into play. I don't. I just don't see them parting ways with Joe again. I just for something. There's something in my head. Well, that, I'm. That, I'm not saying they will. I'm saying that if they sign Santana, there's there's obviously no room for Joe if they do that. Something tells me they would stretch it to where they would try to make it work. I, I don't know. Like G1 Bay, I'm not too crazy about him. He's got some factors that I like, like his speed. Um, but that's about it. <laughs> I mean. G1 Bay, can we just admit that he's a glorified modern-day Terrence Gore? I mean, he is nothing special except speed. And he might be able to lay down a bunt and beat it out. But again, at, at well, I also stage, just don't think he's a particularly good fit for the roster they've constructed. Right. Because I think um, what they need to add, because I, I see them as 12 spots being taken by about yeah, I have them at like 12 spots right now, positionally. Um, it, you know, some combination of, of who they have available there. What I think they need to add here is I think they need to add a defensive-minded center fielder to the roster to either be the Sunday starter against lefties for Sawinski or, um, you know, some kind of defensive replacement. Because Oliveris is bad defensively. Sawinski, obviously, we'll get into the Oliveris trade later. And we keep mentioning that, but we never actually get to it. Um Oliveris, Sawinski, Reynolds, that's that's a pretty bad defensive outfield. So, you know, is Palacios that guy? I know Palacios got some reps in center last year, but I don't think he's a center fielder. Uh, Bay's an atrocious route runner, and he's left-handed. I, I just, and I think Sawinski, well, I think he's capable of playing center field. I don't think he's particularly good at it. I think he does need a late-inning defensive replacement. I, I just... I would say if you give Sawinski Palacios's arm, I think you have a pretty good center fielder, but I, that's still a big if. I don't, I don't necessarily hate the fact that Palacios is like the Sunday outfielder because for for what it's worth, when he was up last year, he gave us some really good moments, and he actually, I would say, exceeded expectations. Um, I, I, I would say where... he exceeded expectations. I'm not counting him out by any means. I know he hits the ball really hard. Um. There's also some reasons to think he's he's not going to be very good, and I certainly don't think he's a center fielder. Well, yeah, and, and that's where it all gets really tricky. And I know you said that we're gonna we keep mentioning Oliveris, and but it, it's just so hard trying to predict what Ben Charrington. And again, it's still early in the offseason. There could be trades, there could be DFAs. Like we don't know what the grandmaster plan is. I don't even want to know if I'm being honest because I it with what we're seeing right now, it's it's less than desirable, but. I think Charrington is also aware of just the holes that this team has and the odd pairings. And I think he sees the just everything that could go wrong. And something tells me he's going to start moving people around. But I, I mean, I don't know. I just find it odd that they would go that would, they would part ways with Connor Joe again. But then again, this team has done some pretty weird stuff that I'm not even I'm not even certain about. So um, let's get into the Edward Oliveris trade since we keep hinting at it. So Edward Oliveris, at the time of we're recording this. He um he he was acquired about two hours before you and I hopped on here. 
uh, from the Kansas City Royals, and he was traded for, I'd say, a pretty decent package. Um, Davis Nadal, he reached low A Bradenton. He was terrible, and I don't mean that to offend him. I don't mean that. I'm just putting it bluntly. He was just awful. He didn't hit above 220 since his first year of rookie ball, and he was in, I think, since for, for three or four years. Guy was terrible, so we get a 27-year-old outfielder who has been okay. This is what I compared as the Connor Joe trade 2.0 because, yeah, we gave up, I would say, a better prospect than Jack Hartman for Connor Joe, but Oliveris, I think, is comparable. He's not great, but he's also not awful. He's awful defensively, but I'm I'm speaking purely from an offensive mindset because the Pirates need, need bats, and that's what Oliveris can provide probably. Yeah, I think this is um it was a it was a roster move for the Royals. They needed to clear a 40 man spot for uh Stratton, I believe. Um and so Ben swooped in and, and got Oliveris from them. Um I think there's a lot to like about Oliveris. Um he runs well, has a strong arm. Obviously, the entirety of the defense is pretty bad. Doesn't strike out um high contact rates. Low whiff rates. I, I I think there's a lot to like here, um, but it's also questionable how he fits in, right? Because he's really bad defensively. Maybe there's something they see there positionally in right field, um, that they're going to work on. But I just I don't see. I don't see how another lefty mashing righty who's bad at defense kind of fits into this outfield, and it's it's why I think that. You know, another move there is coming for a more defensive-minded outfielder. Um, maybe they trade for like Victor Robles, for example, um, who's on his last year of his contract. For just throwing, just to throw a name out there. Um, but but in a vacuum, I I really don't hate the Oliveris move. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited to see what he can bring with the bat. Yeah, I think in a way, I mean, I don't want to speak on behalf of all Pirates fans, but I, being one of them am starved for a quality hitting outfielder who, you know, I we've had a lot of defensive guys lately. Just give me somebody who can put the ball in play, hit it hard and drive in runs. And that's what I think Oliveris can do. Um, it's actually kind of funny. This is off topic and it really doesn't matter, but I, I felt like sharing it. I was playing franchise on MLB the show the other day, and I actually traded for Oliveris and he started raking. So if he starts going off for the Pirates, then hey, good you omens. heard it here first. You heard it here first. Um, I'm trying to bring up his baseball savant uh, page and get a look at his defense. It's bad. Uh, it's negative seven. Negative seven outs above oh. average for this year. <laughs> but hey, his max ex- his max exit velo is not bad. So <laughs> there's that. And his base running value is so great. But um, uh, I don't know. But I hey, I'm glad he, that we he got- also hits well against breaking stuff. Um, and that's really been a thing for him for his entire, well, maybe not um, entire career, but the past couple of years, he's hit breaking pitches really well. I really wonder, and you got me thinking about this when you said maybe there's a defensive mind, a defensively minded outfielder coming. Michael A. Taylor, his name well, is Michael, been- a, Michael A. Taylor would start. Right. Michael- and I would expect that completely as long as Oliveris is maybe the four. But I'm looking at Michael A. Taylor's baseball savant. I didn't realize I was looking at the wrong guy, but I mean, his, his fielding stats are great hitting stats, not great. So, I mean, you got that to maybe cancel out Oliveris's atrocious defense. So I think that could be a decent, I, I would say 
signing for the Pirates because his name has been tossed around left and right on the hot stove. Hasn't signed yet, but I could see the Pirates going after Michael A. Taylor and using him and Oliveris in differing ways. I would I would not expect that um, because I think if you sign Michael A. Taylor, you're committing to move moving Solinsky to a corner and then just playing Michael A. Taylor every day. Um, what I would, the more of the kind of move that I was kind of implying would be, um, a trade for Victor Robles, who pretty poor hitter, but decent splits against left-handers, um, to pair with Jack Sawinski out there in center field, um, more of a defensive replacement, um, or Sunday off guy versus left-handers than a real starter. Um, so no Kevin Kiermeyer, no Michael A. Taylor. Think more like um, Jake Myers is another name that Houston um, reported to have dangled in the trade market earlier in the offseason. Um, or Robles, who's in a contract year uh, with the Nationals coming off a pretty rough injury field injury field campaign. Um, struggled with back spasms, I think, the entire season, but historically has been an excellent defender. I think that's kind of like the fun part about all this is that we can now sort of start to get a little bit more clarity in terms of the outfield as to who, you know, might be able to fill in. But then again, I don't know, man, I, my mind starts wondering, I start branching off and thinking about all these people. And then I'm like, well, here's one reason why that might not work. And another reason why this might not work. I don't know. But um, yeah, I forgot about Jake Myers and how they dangled him. Well, that's the thing when you have such a, when Sherrington is very obviously working with such a set budget here, and I'm not, I'm not defending him, but it's just the truth. You have to find a way to get things done creatively, you know, and that means platoons. That means defensive replacements. That means, you know, so to make up for the production that you're not getting out of a single player to make it up with multiple players, you know, that's, that, those are the kinds of things you have to do when you have a limited budget that Bob Nutting is providing you. Whether or not he's doing a good job of it, you know, I don't know, you know, and I have my doubts, but I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, I think there's not a whole lot of clarity now. There's a lot of people that I presume are going to be on the roster that don't have super clear defined roles. Um, like if, if, say, for example, if Henry like completely flops defensively, he's just terrible, but he hits. But he's completely unacceptable defensively. In that scenario, if Oliveris is hitting and Kutch is hitting, where does where does Davis play? Right? Does Davis, you know, you can't you can't have Davis DHing because then he's going to be taking away at bats from McCutcheon, who in this you know in this hypothetical scenario plays well. And you can't have him in the outfield because Oliveris is playing well. Like, where do you put him if that catching thing doesn't work out? So I'm I'm really curious to see. Obviously, that's, you know, it's very unlikely that that's going to be the, the situation that happens. Um, it's probably going to play itself out with injuries and uh, hopefully not injuries, but yeah, that's how it usually works. Um, injuries in production, that's going to help. It's going to be a little more clear moving forward, hopefully, once we get into the season. But I'm I'm just really curious because I don't I don't see I don't see a clear picture of how that's all going to work right now. And maybe that just sets up the fact that Charrington's going to be active 
maybe maybe a Christmas. Right. Day, we day we don't have the full picture right now, probably. Right. And I mean, as Pirates fans, do we ever get the full picture, even when everything is said and done? No, we never do. So, I mean, it is what it is. There's still, as I've said multiple times, there's still a lot of offseason left. And maybe Charrington will introduce 2024 on a new on a new leaf. Maybe that'll be his maybe that'll be his New Year's resolution is I'm going to I'm going to start getting better players on this roster. Uh, we can only dream. Um, speaking of outfielders, this is a very minor move the Pirates made. It's not a 40 man move. So but I did want to highlight it. Uh, they acquired Billy McKinney uh, from the New York Yankees a couple days ago for international pool money, which the Yankees spent uh, prior to the international signing trade or international signing deadline. Um, Pirates also made a couple international moves. I'm just going to summarize Billy McKinney here because we don't really need to go in depth. I'll hand it over to you for the international signings in just a second. But McKinney had 227 average last year, uh, slash 227, 320, 406, played 48 games with the Yankees, bounced around several teams, hasn't really caught on. Look, this is a minor league depth move. Um, They might be poising him to be the next Josh Palacios, but I mean, it's, there's nothing big with this. So uh, welcome to the org, Billy McKinney. I'm sure we'll see. And him that was, it was an area that they kind of needed to improve on. They needed more minor league outfield depth, just a guy that could come up for a week or so if they needed him. Um, so, and they, they signed, I think they, the guy from the twins, they signed. Um, oh, geez. I can't remember his name. Um, center fielder. Um, Castillo. You're going to make me look now, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Um, oh, let me see here now. Transactions, blah, blah, blah. Let me look, let me look, let me look. We're still looking. We're still looking. Um, I don't see anybody here. Uh, tell you what, while I try to search this, Pirates made a couple international signings today. One very intriguing one. Uh, you'd wrote an article about it for Bucks. I, I wouldn't call it very intriguing. <laughs> Look, it's the Pirates. They haven't done much. Anything's intriguing at this point. Why don't you go ahead and just... Oh, Gilberto Celestino. That's Celestino, not Castillo. Right. Thank but, you. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree. They needed minor league depth. But let's go into the intriguing news, or at least semi-intriguing news. Two international signings. You wrote about it. I'll hand it over to you for that. Yeah, so today was the deadline for the international free agent signing period, which... Um, started on January 15th and ended December 15th. Um, the new period uh, starts next next year, January 15th again. Um, so the Pirates had quite a bit of money left over. Um, they needed to spend it before the end of today. Um, so they trade 500000 of it. And this isn't actual money. It's just the ability to spend money. It's slot money, like draft slot money. Um but they trade five hundred thousand dollars in slot money to the Yankees for Bill McKinney, um, and then they use two hundred thousand on Emmanuel Chapman, who is a Cuban pitcher who defected um, this previous April and had a showcase in August. Uh, he sits ninety-five miles an hour, tops out at ninety-eight. Um, they signed a seventeen-year-old named Jaden Kim, a shortstop uh, who was born in Australia but grew up in South Korea, a son of David Kim, who was an eighteenth-round. 18th round draft pick of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, he's also currently a scout for the Minnesota Twins. Um, and a player that I actually don't know much about. Um, uh, Jeremiah. Hold on. I I literally forgot his name. Jeremiah Baroa. Um, 
So basically these were moves that like they had to get done by today or well, they didn't had to get done. They could have gotten done January 15th, but it would have had to use the slot money for next year instead of the million or so that they had left over this year, including the 775 K that they got for trading Austin hedges. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't, these aren't any monumental signings. I am kind of surprised that, um, that six figure guys are still left around. Um, or maybe they just handed that out just to use it. Um, but the Yankees then turned around and used the the 500k in slot money uh, that we sent them to sign uh, Justin Capellian uh, from the Dominican Republic for 450 thousand. So that was the totality of that move. Um, the process of it is a little more interesting than the players actually signed. I feel like. Um, but hey, Austin Hedges for. What ended up basically happening was they traded Austin Hedges for Bill McKinney, uh, Emmanuel Chapman, and um, Jaden Kim. And I'll tell you what, you give me three players for Austin Hedges, I'll gladly Yes, that's a good day. deal, right? <laughs> right. I will say I will, I will applaud the Cleveland Guardians for using a shirtless Austin Hedges for their graphic they made when they oh signed. Oh my God, yeah, I saw blue. that. That's phenomenal. Um, yeah, uh, good job, Cleveland. I guess that was that was something they, they, the corresponding move was Alfonso Rivas too. How ironic is that? What if? And let's just play. Let's just be fun here. What if the Pirates claim Alfonso back? Never in a million years. I don't even want to contemplate it. I'm setting my laptop on fire if they do. Um, but I mean, Alfonso was okay. I guess I don't know what the hell is okay anymore for the Pirates. Um. But yeah, just wanted to touch on Billy McKinney in the international signing period, uh, just because that's newsworthy. We wanted to mention that. Um, one of the, another another big uh, news piece, if you will, uh, Jason Mackey of the Post Gazette recently released an article, kind of answering a lot of questions that Pirates fans had. One being about Andrew McCutcheon, and is is he going to come back this year? And if I were to put a number on it, Mackey said that it's about ninety percent there that a deal is happening, that Kutch is coming back. Um, terms obviously won't be disclosed until a deal is actually done. I would imagine it's a one-year deal again, maybe two, who knows. But, um, you know, I mean, we talked about Kutch being a potential mix as the DH in the outfield. Um, I mean, is there any doubt that Kutch is coming back? No. no. Um, but, again, how does he sort of fit in? He's probably going to be the primary DH. Um and rightfully so. I mean, when he was healthy last year, and I understand an injury could set a player back, but when he was healthy, I mean, Kutch was pretty impactful at the plate. He was able to work a ton of walks. And so before that elbow injury that he had in in Los Angeles, I think it was early early um, July. Um, it might have been the July 4th weekend, actually. Um, before that elbow injury, he aggravated it again. He was already dealing with a sore elbow, but after that, it was it got worse. Um, he had a 128 WRC plus he, his on base percentage at that point was like 395. He was legitimately a very, very good hitter for the first half of this pirate season. Obviously he was slowed down by that elbow issue. And I think he rushed back from it before he was really ready. Um, and the back half of his season wasn't so good. The power wasn't there. He 
couldn't catch up to the fastball. Um, and that's really what concerns me most about a, a signing like this is that I think there were things to talk about. I think there were, you know, there were conversations to be had with McCutcheon like, hey, you know, we need to make sure that you're healthy. Coming off, obviously, the Achilles injury that unfortunately ended his season um, with 299 home runs. Um, that was a discussion point, making sure that that was healthy. Um, discussing playing time options, because I know um, the Pirates were hoping that he would be able to play the field more. And they'd be able to rotate that DH spot out, you know, just to give guys rest days while keeping them in the lineup. Um, so that's a conversation, too. Um and I think the other conversation that I think they needed to have was how this all ends, right? Because I, I think that that's how you ensure that this doesn't ha- that this has a happy ending. Because I don't think that anybody involved wants anything other than that. And I don't think you want a situation where McCutcheon wants to keep playing in the future. Because I, I know he's coming. He's probably almost certainly actually going to come back for this year. I don't think you want to run into a situation where McCutcheon wants to keep playing and the team says no, right? Where I, I don't think that's a situation that you want to be in. So I think just laying out how each side feels about his future now is really smart because I think you you can kind of avoid that situation in the future. Um, They've been very clear that, you know, this ends when McCutcheon wants it to end and his performance on the field dictates that it does. He's they've been very clear that he is going to retire a pirate if he wants to. So I think they've been pretty respectful about this. Um, And I think it's the right move for a guy who's probably the most almost certainly the most beloved player in the last 40 years or so in this town. Um, I, I just. It's okay to give them credit here, you know. We trash them a lot for a lot of different things, but I, I just I think it's okay for once on a micro scale to say, you know what, they did the right thing. Because they are. They're doing the right thing. Yeah, and I don't disagree at all. And I'm, I think any sensible fan would realize, like, you know, the pirates are aware that age father time catches up to everybody. And Andrew McCutcheon is no exception. Um, although I will say I think he looks really good for his age. Um but I mean, like you said, the Achilles injury last year, they need to lay all the cards on the table and like make sure that there's 110% clarity that Kutch is going to be a productive factor, not just this year, but any year he wants to come back. I don't doubt for a fact that he's going to finish his career with Pittsburgh without a doubt. Um, but I think it's just, you know, what to what extent can he be a, a contributor to this team, especially if they plan on being competitive now? It's just words until we see things in motion, but people were like almost angry that the, that a deal didn't get made at the winter meetings or before the winter meetings for Kutch. Well, here's the thing when you're like all the points that you made, Connor, about, you know, Kutch's health, the Pirates future, all that, that stuff needs to be cleared. And you have an entire offseason to work on it. If Kutch and actually both parties are in agreement that they want to, you know, they want a reunion this year. You know, there's no doubt that it's going to happen. They just need to make sure that they are 110% investing their money well. And I would say to the to the to the biggest extent that they possibly can. And this is what it's you know this is what's going on. 
Now, I know we're speculating. Maybe that's not the reason. Maybe Ben is just dragging his knuckles or maybe Kutch is just trying to enjoy some time by, to himself. But that's I think that's probably the most logical thing and probably the reason why they haven't reached a deal yet. As it's, long as it gets done, right? Yes, it's going to happen. I don't think anybody should care. Um, obviously, it's a little frustrating for us because we can't write any articles about it. But <laughs> we it, have, it, a quota you know, it's frustrating. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> we've, we've got a quota, man. We it was tough filling that quota in November, man. Um, <laughs> but it, it is. Yeah, I don't think it should matter to the fans whether or not he signed in November or, you know, after Christmas if he's on the opening day roster. Right. And I think that whatever path that the Pirates needed to take to make sure that everything was right is the path that was smart. Right. And, and I think that where this went wrong last year in terms of production was Kutch wasn't able to say no. There were there have been plenty of moments over McCutcheon's career where he's been, and I'm, I'm using air quotes here, fine when he's not really, and he's played through it. And at 37, is it really smart to play through it? I think we saw that it wasn't this year with the elbow thing because in he just had a, a putrid July and August coming off the elbow injury, which honestly, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't 100% from. Then, of course, the Achilles injury came after and that ended his season. But even then, I mean, he was telling media then that he was fine. That was his words that, you know, or that he would have considered playing through it if they were in a playoff race. Like, dude, you you can have more than one gear. You don't have to be full bore all the time. And that's not the guy the Pirates really need you to be anymore. You know, can you be a productive player? Absolutely. But it you're only really valuable to the team. If you are that productive, healthy player and you can't do it if you're rushing back from injury. And I think that was a conversation that that needed to be had. And I don't know if it, if it was had, um, but it's just there was a lot of there were some conversations to be had about this, some real honest conversations. And I think that ultimately the right move was to resign. And I think it's going to get done. And I think that nobody should care whether or not it happened after Christmas or, you know, before Pirates Fest or in November or it doesn't matter. Right. Like you said, as long as it gets done and it will, I mean, I don't think Mackie would have posted that Mackie's been pretty reliable for years. I don't think he would say that a deal is almost done if it wasn't. So, right. It will happen. Just give it time, folks. Um, we were going to go into this rant about Kansas city and how they basically are doing what the Pirates should be doing, but we're running up to the mark here. So, uh, let's end with something that you brought to me, Connor. Um, it, it's nothing confirmed. It's still, from what I understand, in the infant stages, but uh, it's it's pretty hilarious, and I kind of hope this happens. So take it away. So I have heard that there is that there's going to be a sell the team protest at Pirates Fest. I've heard that the Pittsburgh Clothing Company has been quoted for a price on sell the team shirts. Um, that they're going to respond soon on a price for that and that they will be handed out um, outside the convention center at Pirates Fest. That's the infancy plan for this, and it's what I've heard. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's a really funny thing that I've heard about. I hope this happens. I think it would be the funniest thing in the world, especially I think it would be kind of ironic because – 
past couple of years, Pirates Fest has been canceled. People blame ownership. People blame upper, upper management. And the first year they bring it back, a protest to sell the team. I think that would be perfect. And you know what? I'm going to say this. I think we all have that one kid to, to thank who took a picture with Bob Nutting in the sell the team shirt. Because I think that started to spark even more intense talks about it. Um, I don't know his name, but, you know, I give him a lot of credit for wearing that shirt. But I, just as a Pirates fan who wants the most from the team they've been following since they were, you know, since they were a kid, um, I would love nothing more than fans to finally take a stand against ownership in a peaceful way and try to incite some change because the the, the Pirates need, need something. And we all know Bob Nunning has no plans of selling anytime soon. So if the fans can force something like that, um, that would be that would be freaking spectacular. And the fact that they're quoting prices for T-shirts, I think is just it, it's just the the chef's kiss, the cherry on top, because I think that shows that there is some. So I would say some uh, seriousness in this. Yeah. And that's again, it's just what I've heard. um, Just what I was told. So I'm not saying that it's going to happen. And, and look, you know, I, I get the frustrations. I, I don't like Bob Nutting either. <laughs> I really don't. Reynolds is going to be 29 next year. Mitch Keller is going to be 28. Hayes um, will be 27. I think, right? <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> yeah, that I, I don't think I quoted any numbers wrong there. I know Reynolds is 29 and Mitch Keller is 28. Um, and I think Hayes is going to enter his age 27 season next year. These players' primes aren't going to last forever. You know, so you got to... To throw a, a crass phrase out there, you got to crap or get off the pot because I don't think you can invest a hundred million dollars in Reynolds and invest 70 million dollars in Hayes and talk about, you know, an extension with Mitch Keller and David Bednar. I, I don't think you can do that and then not invest in 2024, right? You have to invest in this rotation, you have to acquire major league caliber pitchers for this year at least to fill the first half with innings because i don't i don't see how they enter this year with their current group of players and even fill the innings let alone win games if if you're intent on just oh well we'll see for 2024 then why bother extending reynolds i it's just it it's mind-boggling to me because they really could have had the offseason the royals had and it would have made sense. You know, it's not outlandish. It's not ridiculous. The Royals didn't overpay for anybody. They got two major league caliber starting pitchers in Michael Walker and Seth Lugo, who aren't already broken that they don't have to try to fix to bolster their rotation coming off 106 loss year. Why couldn't the Pirates do that coming off a 74 win year? There's just no, there's no reason not to. I will say, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, the quantity of signings doesn't necessarily translate to good quality of the signings. And I've been trying to think about that with the with all the signings the Royals have made, especially like Michael Waka and why am I why am I forgetting his name? Seth Lugo. Other, Seth Lugo, yes. Now Lugo's been proven to be decent, but like Waka's coming off a very good year. Right, but at the same time, he's also had several years where he hasn't been too great. But Lugo, if Lugo hasn't even been a starter, starter full time before this season, right? Like both of these guys are aren't broken. Waka is 
probably as close to a proven commodity as you're going to get in this league. I, I just, I don't understand why the pirates have to continue to go back into the bin of broken and misfit toys. Why do we have to keep, you know, I know they turned around Jose Quintana. I know they turned around Tyler Anderson. I know they're trying to do the same thing with Marco Gonzalez coming off an injury, but, but why, why, especially when the price was, was this low. Michael Waka signed a two-year deal with an opt-out after the first year for $32 million. That is absolutely within the Pirates' range because it's within the Royals' range because the Royals did it. And if the Royals are attractive enough of a destination for a free agent, a mid-tier free agent like Michael Waka, there's no reason, there's, there's just, there's no real excuse that you can use to say why the Pirates couldn't have signed these guys. And it's just, it's baffling that when the Pirates' three most profitable seasons under Nutting's tenure were the three playoff years, and not by a by a substantial margin, I might add, that he's absolutely petrified of taking any real risk to get there. It, it just, and like I said, you know, Reynolds is going to be 29. You extended him last year because you wanted him to be part of a competitive product at some point. If you're not gonna, if you're not gonna compete this year, what are you doing? Why? Why did we even extend him instead of trading him? I I don't get it. I don't get it. I really don't. Unless the Pirates are taking maybe the most creative way, an innovative way to win a World Series or at least be competitive. That's the only reason I can think of as to why they they go keep going to the island of misfit toys. Like, I don't know. Or is it just a continuous cycle of, okay, we'll bring in these guys who are reclamation projects, and if we're not at, say, this, this you know, we, if we don't meet this quota of wins by this mark, then we know that we can at least maybe get something for them in return. Like, it's the same old tired game that we've been getting. And again, this is all speculation. It's not like this is exactly what's happening, but... Those are the only conclusions that I can draw as to why the Pirates continue to do this. I mean, because that that isn't immediately saying the owner's cheap, because that is such a tired thing to say. It's it, an it's, easy. It's the easy thing to say. Right. 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 It is. It, it 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 also it might be true, but it's just I. In this case, I don't think he's unwilling to spend the money as much as he's just terrified of spending it. I right. I think the pirates are legitimately afraid of taking that risk and it not working out. And it's because $30 million would be a sizable chunk of change for them. I'm not going to blow smoke up anybody's ass here and say that, well, if Waka's a complete flop, you know, when he gets injured on the first play or pitches to a nine ERA that him being paid $16 million over the course of two years isn't going to be a significant burden. But the Pirates could have done that deal. And I don't think Waka is going to go out there and throw a 9 ERA this year. He's coming off of two really good years. I, I just... I don't know. There's there's still time to get something done. Um, there's still names out there. Um, names that I wouldn't mind um, include like Michael Lorenzen or James Paxton... Um, 
but I just I don't see how they can avoid. I I really want them to avoid like the Hinjin Ryu's of the world, where it's just they've thrown four hundred innings in the past couple of years, and they're thirty eight years old, coming off a second Tommy John. Like th- those are the players that like we keep turning back to that I would like to see them move past. Right. I really would. And I think that next year of guys is Michael Walker, is Seth Lugo. At some point, you need to commit financially to something other than losing 100 games in a row. 100 games two times in a row. Because right. that is the only notable on-field result that Ben Sherrington and Bob Nutting have combined for. And it's the only and it's the first time since the 50s in franchise history that it's happened. So if at some point you have to commit to something other than just completely unwatchable baseball. Spending aside, I will say I find it absolutely like mystifying that Bob Nutting knows that he is putting out a terrible product every day and Ben Charrington, too. They are self-aware enough to know that. Everybody that they are basically public enemy number one and two in Pittsburgh. Um, and yet they wake up every day and their attitude is as long as I get paid, I don't care what anybody thinks. You know, I, I'm safe. It is what it is. I, I'm just amazed that they basically have I would I would say that applies more to Bob than it does to Ben. Because I think Ben's just I don't think Ben is particularly good at his job, but I do think that he's just working within the constraints that the ownership that ownership sets for him. Right. And I think that really that, that, that applies more to Bob nutting for me, where it's just like, how do you not know how much really just people hate your guts, dude? (laughs) Like the fan base, the fan base wants his head basically. Yeah. I I just were saying, and I mean, it could is he be comfortable like with that? Is he, you know, obviously there's no urgency to change anything regarding that. No. And, the and thing- obviously fan bases never, most fan bases never like their ownership. It's that's pretty much most sports teams complain about their ownership, but it's, it's a special case here in Pittsburgh where this guy just refuses to commit, refuses to take risk. And they've been bad for so long now. Or maybe, hear me out, maybe he's just like trying to stick to such a complex formula. Like if I upgrade ballpark ballpark attractions or we add more promotions or we do X and Y and Z, we'll get fans in the stands. When in reality, he's missing the big point. The better team you put on the field, the more you're going to fill the stands. Like he wants to make money, but he's taking the worst possible way to do it they they made a four they had a 14 win improvement this year and gate was up 30 percent you know a large part of that was because of of course andrew mccutcheon but a big part of that too was that they fielded a team that was 14 wins better and that they were in first place by mid-june right Right. now imagine if they were to field a team that could surpass maybe 85 wins and actually have a winning record. Like again, Bob or stay in first place for like the entire season. You know, it's, I don't understand it again. He's just taking such a complex formula to try and fill the seats and make money. When in reality, he's missing the, the biggest point of it all. And that is put out there a a competent team. We're not asking you to win world series every year. That would be great. 
but we know that's not realistic. What's realistic, though, is putting out a team that is watchable, that can be that April Pirates team and not suffer a monumental collapse in May. Like, again, the, the formula is just, it, it, it makes no sense to me. Like, he's trying to solve one plus one by using the quadratic formula. He, he's not taking the simpler route. And I, this is where I wish he would really listen to this show because he'd probably sit there and be like, no, I'm not thinking that way. I'm I'm great. You know, I I know what he doesn't know. Like, I would see him so in his office listening to this and basically putting down everything we say. But deep down, he knows that we're right because we think logically. We think simple. We think simply. It doesn't take a, a village idiot to know that if you put out there a really good team, at least or at least. Maybe not even that. If you just try, like the Royals, comparing them, they're putting, they may lose another 100 games, but they're at least bringing in some players that can give them a shot to get there. Like, we're really like branching off here. But again, I just think Bob is just taking such a, a, a really bad route to this like it's almost his route running with sales is about as bad as g1 bay in the outfield as uh, i knew i knew that comparison was coming okay let's get let's it's time let's get out of here we have to yeah i'm sleep deprived and we're starting to really go off on on tangents here but hopefully and i'm gonna say it again because it worked last time hopefully we get more news hopefully we get better news from the pirates moving forward i would love to see a week where we actually see some activity and for the better so uh, before we get out of here, Connor, uh, do you have any further comments? If not, go ahead and give the fine folks uh, listening your X handle. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter or slash X um, at wins underscore Williams. Uh, you can find Jake. I th- What's your handle? It's underscore radio. Jake can't forget the underscore. Yeah. And of course, uh, check out uh, buckstugout.com. Um I I, sh- I think we're going to I think I should be writing um a piece on the uh, Oliveris trade. I think that'll probably be going up tomorrow morning. No promises though cuz I I do have to pack. I'm traveling tomorrow. Um but uh check that out. All righty. Well, uh with that being said, this is a pretty lengthy episode. So, uh but we covered a lot, a lot of good conversation and as Connor said, go ahead follow Bucks Dugout on Twitter. Check out BucksDugout.com. Follow Fans First Sports Network at Fans First SN. Follow us at Talk the Plank Pod. There's a lot of accounts you need to follow, so uh, but they're all on X, and it'll keep you updated. And follow us, too. But, Connor, oh, another good show as always. Can't wait to do it again soon. Yeah, same here. And uh, with that being said, for Connor, I'm Jake. We'll see you next time here on Talk the Plank. Happy holidays.